0: and welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name's Jen Sherman, a doctor, coach and expedition medic. Um, if you're a paramedic, a doctor, nurse, physio, or indeed anybody working in healthcare who has a curious and adventurous mind, then this is the podcast for you. Today, we're going to be talking about mental health and um, specifically the role of adventure to mental health recovery. Um, the pandemic has meant that we're all essentially living in a time of huge uncertainty. And it could be argued that as a result now, more than ever, it's essential to prioritise our own mental health and actually even more importantly, know how to support others who are struggling with their mental health. So to explore this with me in today's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Stu Skinner. So Stu is an expedition leader and he's a director of a charity, Changing Horizons, um, and his charity is the leading provider of mental health first aid training in the outdoor and adventure industry. After surviving a suicide attempt, uh, he embarked on a 4,500 mile cycling trip through Southeast Asia. And from this, his journey into well-being really began. So Stu, following from this, was awarded a fellowship from the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. And he hiked 2,179 miles along the Appalachian Trail. He's completed an unsupported solo trek across the entire length of Jordan and has just returned, lucky him, from the Sinai, where he became the first person to successfully complete the Seven Summits Sinai Challenge. All of these epic adventures have been to raise awareness of mental health and challenge the stigma that unfortunately still exists. So before we dive in and we get into the conversation, I just want to highlight to everybody who's listening today that we're going to talk about topics that might be triggering for some individuals and it's really important that we look after you and you look after yourselves. So if you are affected by anything that we discuss today on the podcast, please, please, please reach out to somebody in your network or to one of the organizations that we will signpost you to at the end of the podcast. So enough of my ramblings. Without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Stu to the podcast. Hi, Stu. How's it going?
1: (laughs) Uh, Great, Jen. Thank you very much for having me on this podcast.
0: Brilliant. And where are you today? Where are are you calling in from?
1: I'm actually uh, calling in from France. I'm out visiting my partner who's um, living with her parents in the Dordogne Valley. Um, She decided that lockdowns (laughs) and being enclosed in, in a flat in, in High Wycombe wasn't really good for her mental health. So she's come to the remote countryside where she can live pretty much COVID free and, and just, I guess, enjoy spending time with her family, which she doesn't often get the opportunity to do. So it's, it's been lovely to come out here
0: yeah definitely yeah breath of fresh or breath of fresh air literally so so Stu let's dive let's dive in let's dive in because I think we've got so much um we can talk about today really but I wonder whether a great starting point for for me and for the listeners is if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming an expedition leader and to setting up your wonderful charity
1: um I guess a lot of it has to do where well, it, it has to come from I guess a place of mental illness or mental unwellness and and trauma. I went through a very traumatic experience, which, you know, nothing in life had quite prepared me for. Um, You know, it still baffles me that, you know, I had sex education at school, I had physical education at school, but I had no kind of emotional literacy or kind of mental health educational awareness. So when something did happen to me and I started having all these emotions and feelings and thoughts that weren't really my own, I would say, I didn't really know what what to do and, I think that, you know, the trauma got the better of me Um, and things got so bad. My depression got so, so out of hand that, you know, I really struggled with suicidal thoughts. Um, I was too afraid (laughs) to say anything. You know, people didn't really talk about mental health. You know, this is going back 20 years. Um, I certainly didn't know how to manage my feelings or emotions or my thoughts. And I kind of turned to self-harm and you know again that's just it was just you know it helped <laughs> it helped with what i was going through but it didn't really address the issues and i went to university which was good for a while i got into a relationship which was good for a while but it was just kind of putting clusters over over the wounds, so to say and i left university with, without really knowing what i wanted to do anymore because the career i wanted to work in the foreign office i was told due to my mental <laughs> health diagnosis of, of bipolar disorder and depression i i had no career um and those suicidal thoughts and ideation really came back, and it was very difficult to kind of ignore. I was very good at kind of putting them off uh, to one side, and and I did make an attempt on my life, which was um, I was very lucky to survive. Um, I was given the choice, quite you know, tough love of <laughs> sorting my life out or being uh, sectioned and going into an institution. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, that can be life-saving for some people, and that might be what they need. But it wasn't what I wanted in my life at the time, and. I don't know whether to fate you might call it fate or destiny or the gods smiling on me I had a friend who was volunteering in the Philippines with a peace corps he's an American and his service was coming to an end and he was going to be on this big bike trip to kind of celebrate it and to travel through Southeast Asia and he knew I was in a tough spot and he just said you know why don't you come on this bike trip and it was kind of you know that light bulb moment it was that light at the end of the tunnel that I'd been told about that I desperately wanted and uh, it finally gave me hope and you know i've been pretty much agoraphobic i had left the house in maybe 16 months i was not working not talking completely shut off from life which is so different to what i used to be you know um i flew out to the philippines i didn't even own a bike <laughs> I Didn't know training and you know four weeks later off we went on this four and a half thousand mile bike trip and I think where there was only kind of, you know, like just dis- despair and darkness, you know, I finally found, you know, that hope. I found my passion again. I found my purpose and reasons to stay alive and just had all these joyful encounters with locals and, you know, spectacular scenery. And it was just, it was just, yeah, I wouldn't say life-changing. It was also life-saving. It literally, I think it, it saved my life. And um, and then I found out there was this thing called Expedition Leader. There was a career where you could take people on these Awesome adventures and you know facilitate these experiences for other people and and I, you know just felt like that's what I had to do with my life and um, so that's what I did you know I went on an expedition leader course went spent a month in the mountains in Wales did my mountain leader training then flew out to Belize and spent six months out there um, training with jungle warfare instructors working as a expedition assistant and it I was like yeah this is for me this is what you know I want to do with my life and, Yes, led to a really richly rewarding career.
0: Fantastic, my goodness. And when was that? So when was that you um, you began as an expedition leader? How long ago was that?
1: Um, well, I started in, two, well, bike trip was 2007. Um, expedition leader course, 2008 to 2009. Um, it didn't go smoothly like most expeditions. <laughs> There's no such thing as a perfect expedition, I'd say. Mm. Um, and I was told by the instructor who I didn't really see eye to eye with that I would not I had no chance as an a men- uh, expedition leader due to my mental health diagnosis that organizations would not want to employ an expedition leader with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder who had a history of self harm and suicide. Um, and that really got me down and that led to a pretty dark descent again and I fell back I relapsed back into into depression. Um, and then I happened to read a book by Bill Bryson called A Walk in the Woods about his journey on the Appalachian Trail. And I, this is for me. Uh, I applied for a fellowship with the Winston um, Churchill Memorial Trust. I was very lucky that I received one. Um, so I went out to the U.S., hiked over 2,000 miles to promote the mental health benefits of outdoor activity, but also to kind of prove people wrong that, you know, that a diagnosis shouldn't be a limitation to achieving your hopes and dreams. And I think too often people with mental Honestly, we've experienced depression, anxiety, and they're constantly told what they can't do rather than you know, with the right kind of help and support, you you can still achieve, you know, your hopes and dreams. There shouldn't be barriers or limitations for you to do what you want to do with your life. And I think walking 2,200 miles, not only proved to other people, but most importantly, it proved to myself as well, kind of like I didn't have to listen to those people. I knew within myself that I had the, you know, the confidence and ability to to lead expeditions and, and lead them well and lead them safely.
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think it's raising such an an important point isn't it that actually around the stigma around actually if if you've got a mental health diagnosis or you struggle with something specific in your own mental health that people equate that to um a lack of function or an inability to take on a role which involves responsibility or something Mm -hmm. you know which again i think as you've proven you know so um beautifully is not the case um, and I think it's a really you know really really important part of, 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 of your story isn't it um, and I wonder if perhaps you could tell us then um, how the charity came about in and amongst this kind of you know the story of the exhibition leadership where did the idea for the charity come from and, and what is that actually involved?
1: Uh, I, th- I think I've always wanted you know like I think when people go through maybe experiences like I do you know they want to kind of use it for something. Um, I mean for me I, you know, Martin Luther King was a big hero of mine growing up and you know he said as his sufferings mountain he realized he could react in two ways either he could react with bitterness or choose to transform his suffering into a creative force and like Martin Luther King I really wanted to transform all you know that negativity and turn it into something positive positive. Um, and when I was in Belize working as a in an expedition assistant you know We had a snake bite, we had loads of scorpion stings, perforated ulcer, but you know, as soon as those things happen, (laughs) uh, you know, as soon as those things happen, all the training kicks in, doesn't it? You know, everyone that's listening, I'm sure you as well, Jen, you know, if there's a a medical incident or a trauma, you know, all that training kicks in, you just go into the zone, so to say. But we had, you know, young lads struggle with suicidal thoughts and self-harm. We had one young girl, the stress of the um, expedition triggered her anorexia again. You know we had panic attacks anxiety and <laughs> spending three months in the jungle is pretty intense and you had lots of you know mental health incidents and and it kind of was fe- fell upon me to kind of deal with them or manage them because of my experiences and it just baffled me i was just like why do we have first aid like why did i know what to do when someone got bit by a snake <laughs> why don't i know what to do when someone's having a panic attack or experiencing suicidal thoughts and unfortunately the young lad Uh, who experiencing suicidal thoughts we had to repatriate and that kind of that stayed with me for a long time because you know he was really upset and I do believe that expeditions can be life-changing you know experiences for people and I just came back thinking we really need mental health first aid there needs to be a mental health equivalent of first aid and then I googled it I found out that the Department of Health had just introduced mental health first aid into into England and um, I did the course and decided that you know I really liked the course it made me more aware of my own mental health and it certainly gave me I guess maybe crystallized things I already knew but also gave me kind of practical tools to to, I think better support other people and I decided to become an instructor um, and try and drive mental health first aid into the outdoor industry and I guess the charity was kind of a vehicle in which I could do that um, because it was really hard to try and persuade people it's just as you know people who work in the outdoor industry yet to have yet another qualification another thing that they need to do and it also costs money which you know it's, it's not always hard to come by when you're a freelancer um so I managed to get some funding and then I was able to run a pilot project I was able to you know measure the impact and the benefits and and also the charities it's it's, it's my little baby it's my little survivor's mission you know it keeps me going when you know times are tough I've, I've always got that it, whenever I struggle with purpose or or, or, yeah, finding things, you know, not, not things to do so much, but, you know, when when work is is quiet, it kind of keeps me focused because, you know, I've always got that goal. I know what I want to do with it. And I think it's like a, it's a vehicle that, that keeps me on the road, to that recovery, that, I mean, that recovery journey, because I would never say I've recovered. I mean, it's an ongoing process for me, mm. and, and the charity is really a pro- something that really helps me with that. And, mm. and again, like I said, transforming something negative into something positive um, so it's been incredibly cathartic and it's allowed me I like to think to do a lot of good and a lot of what I really wanted to achieve with my mm. life as well
0: mm. no I think it's it's fantastic isn't it it's that um it sounds like it's part of your mission <laughs>
1: Um, yeah massively (laughs) so
0: part of your mission and I wonder I mean because um I'm always surprised actually um in the healthcare world um how few people actually know about the public health mental health first aid um training courses it's very interesting because actually you would think the healthcare professionals would know (laughs) um and and actually many don't so I wonder um just for the purpose of the listeners whether you can just give us a bit of a a bit of an idea about what a mental health first aid course is actually about what what as you as the trainer what what is it that you're trying to what tools are you trying to give people through the course
1: I mean, it really is what it says, you know, it's a first aid approach, you know, to mental health. It's not about becoming a doctor, psychiatrist. It's all about recognising those signs and symptoms. Like in first aid, we don't diagnose, do we? We treat the symptoms as best as we can. And it's very much a first aid approach, of so providing that initial support until we can get that person the more appropriate professional help. Um, and for me, and you know, we often talk about the NHS in crisis, we talk about mental health crisis, but I think too often when it comes to mental health, we wait till we are in crisis, I waited till I was in crisis, or people wait till they're in crisis before they get the right right help. Mm. Um, with me, mental health first aid, and kind of other mental health awareness trainings, it, you know, if we spot the signs early, it allows early intervention, early intervention enables faster recovery. So I think very often we can avert a crisis by with that early intervention. And mm. very often, it's, it can just be a simple conversation. And And for me, that's what my I guess what I see mental health first aid really being about. It's about normalizing conversations about mental health. It's about saying it's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to share these feelings, and it's okay to to get support and be supported around those you know thoughts and feelings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, you know, mental health conversations around mental health is still a bit of a taboo subject. I think one good thing from the pandemic is it, it, we are starting to talk about mm-hmm. mental health. Even my dad, he's one of the most conservative conservative people I've ever met. Uh, you know, he's even started using that term mental health. So, in some ways, I think it's it's been great to to hear people talk about it. And you know, when on the BBC today, and there's like self care tips for lockdown. So that, that's that's mm. that's great to see as well.
0: Mm, definitely, definitely. And I mean, in, from your perspective, do you see um, these skills as being something that anybody can learn and anybody can? become comfortable at having those you know those types of conversations you know because I'm sure you've met through your training I'm sure you've met a broad range of people some who are much more comfortable with the training in the first place and some who Mm -hmm. are like what you mentioned with your dad or maybe perhaps also come from a generation where it wasn't Mm -hmm. it wasn't discussed it just was not it was the thing that wasn't discussed I mean how do you find uh, people's response to that and how do you find people kind of respond by the before at the beginning of the course to the end of the courses
1: uh, like you said it, it can really be like you know a mixed bag But I think it's something that people really want to talk about you know because mm-hmm. we all have mental health we all experience mm-hmm. mental health and just like our physical health you know ebbs and flows and I think all of us have experienced low mental health at some point in our lives and I think for many people mental health first aid course it's you know the first time in which they can talk in a safe environment about their own mental health or, or you know the mental health of their loved ones and I think that's what a lot of people tend to get from the course so, you know the thing that you get most from the course is it gives them a safe environment to talk openly and candidly about their mental health and and and, and it's all okay but like i said mm-hmm. it's just because we're, we're not used to these conversations mm-hmm. um, and giving people two days to kind of explore and ask questions they might not normally ask and maybe ask me about my own mental health journey. I think it just, it gives them the confidence to then have these conversations with other people because they realize they're not that scary. And, mm. you know, you don't need to be a psychiatrist. You don't really need to know what schizophrenia and bipolar disorder mm. because it's just, you know the symptoms that people present, you know mm. and mm. just, you know, empathy and, and listening. Cause so I think all of us, we might not know what bipolar is or what a manic phase is, but we know that someone might be scared or they might be feeling low or they might be feeling frustrated or alone or isolated we can empathize with that so um, i think that's what really comes through with the training particularly with with expedition and outdoor leaders as well
0: yeah fantastic and that that has been a big part of what you've done because obviously you do a lot of work um for world challenge and around mental health first aid so perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about about that and about the the, the direction that that's taken
1: uh, obviously, I work as a, uh, an expedition leader for for Wild Challenge, and it's a big part of managing my mental health. I get really excited. I love working with young people. I love taking them on expeditions. It's it's so important to to my mental health um, the way I manage it. Um, but again, it was just for me the importance that you know, like if we're taking young people who might have you know self harming or experience of self harming, anxiety disorders, eating disorders. That we have a toolkit so we can properly support them on expedition if someone's got diabetes or you know uh, asthma we make sure that we have you know a a first aid plan a health action plan to support them and I think it's really important that we make expeditions accessible to everyone that we should again Mm. not putting barriers or limitations Mm -hmm. and again mental health first aid is just it's a two-day course just to, to add to their first aid course and and I think it was an amazing move by World Challenge to say well we we value mental health so important we think it's really important that young people are supported with mental health and they made it mandatory for all their leaders mm. um, which then meant I trained I think well, over 350 uh, expedition leaders and operational staff but not just the expedition staff you know the office you know the managers and staff within World Challenge as well and it was, yeah, I mean, it it was tough, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, talking about suicide, and I lost a young person who I took to Borneo um, to suicide during all this training, which um, had a profound impact on my mental health, as you can imagine, and that was quite tough to talk about suicide, having just gone through this this loss, but again, it was just an incredibly transformative experience uh, for myself, and just to give over 300 expedition leaders that you know space for, even if it just meant expedition leader saying you're not sure i have no idea what mental health is mm. i'm a little bit scared by self-harm I'm a little bit scared by eating disorders and just letting them like, well that's okay too it's mm. okay too but hopefully we can address those fears and and have, mm. you know help you realize that it, it doesn't have to be scary and that we can properly support young people um with whatever mental you know whatever mental health journey they're, they're at because again as we all know they can be incredibly transformative experiences for, for young people so let's try and make sure we can support them best they can so they can benefit just as just as I did you know from my bike trip in southeast Asia and I think that's why I'm so passionate about combining mental health training with expeditions because I want people who may be going through what I did to benefit from that life-changing expedition that I went on as well.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think and I think you're touching on something really important, which is is this idea of inclusivity, isn't it, as well, in the industry, in the adventure outdoor expedition industry. This idea, you know, you mentioned you experienced it when you received feedback at the end of your ML, you know, assessment training, you, you know, about your position in the industry. Young people sometimes receive messages that because of their mental health, they can't take part in something. Unfortunately, that still is the case sometimes. And I think um, I think that in itself actually just perpetuates the problem you know mm-hmm. I think what we really need should be doing in my opinion to come through is, is is actually making this inclusive and saying you know this is this this experience could be the first thing that could help somebody on their road to recovery and to mm-hmm. see themselves in a different light you know you know depending on obviously what's what's been going on with them but um but yeah so you know all fantastic stuff so I wonder um you know, obviously a big part of your journey and we have touched on it um, up until now has obviously been around suicide and suicidal thoughts. And I wonder if we could just spend a little bit of time just talking about that because I think probably within the whole mental health kind of arena, it still is, I think probably one of the most, people see it as one of the most difficult things to talk about still. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what... um, Perhaps you could share with us your kind of your thoughts around that. Your thoughts around if we ourselves are struggling with something, uh, some suicide thoughts. We know somebody who is. I mean, what what should we do? What, what in your in your kind of opinion, with your experiences and training of everything personally, what should we do?
1: Sorry, um,
0: I think first uh, it's
1: <laughs> it's
0: I'm actually it's not emotional. It's just um. <coughs> Uh, oh, don't sticking. worry here listen. no don't worry take it because this is all being recorded and then we can just take a bit out of it so
1: i don't know if you want to ask me so really sorry about that
0: no don't mm. worry mm. that looks
1: like i've been crying
0: now <laughs> oh my god no not at all uh, and also if we don't want to talk about that we don't have to I know that's important. Yeah, I I mean, that's why I asked because I kind of thought, because it's not talked about anywhere, <laughs> that, that, that direct question. Like, how do you, so do you want me to ask the question again? And then we'll just, because I'm going to listen to this afterwards and then I just tell Nick cut out that bit.
1: Yes, please. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Whatever,
0: you know what I mean? So I'll just ask again and then we'll continue as we were. Is that okay? That's okay. Yeah. yeah you sure?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Positive, yeah.
0: Positive, yeah just tell me if you're not by the way I should have said that at the beginning <laughs>
1: that's like there's yeah there's nothing that's off the books of me when it comes to mental health so
0: okay okay and um, so yeah obviously we've touched on it already Um, quite a bit to just within your own journey and just within the mental health first state training but obviously um, suicide and suicidal thoughts are I still feel they're, they're that there's something that that probably still has the most stigma attached to them within the mental health field so I wonder whether we could just spend a few minutes kind of just to hear your thoughts and on, on how we could if we ourselves experience those types of thoughts or and um, we know somebody who is going through something like that what we can actually do to support them.
1: I mean for me it's again it's, it's about normalizing I don't, I don't want to normalize maybe the action of suicide but suicidal thoughts and yeah. are, are quite common you know I think one mm. in five people experience suicidal thoughts at some point in their life it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to act upon them and we can't pop we we can't really control what pops into our minds are you know thoughts Mm -hmm. pop in thoughts pop out sometimes they're loud sometimes they're quiet sometimes they're close sometimes they're distance and I think when I first started experiencing suicidal thoughts I was you know terrified by them but also I thought there must be something wrong with me like I was a flawed person or flawed individual for having these thoughts and it was something to be embarrassed about to be ashamed about something that I had to keep as a kind of a a terrible secret and I guess that goes back to stigma and I think through I guess maybe music and and I started going to group therapy and and hearing other people talk about their experiences you start to realise you know that I'm not alone that other people are having these thoughts and feelings themselves and you know if I speak my truth that gives other people permission to speak their truth. Um, so I think it's really important to realise that, you know, if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, you're not alone <laughs> and
0: mm-hmm. there's
1: nothing wrong with you and that everything you think and feel is okay, that it's okay to have these thoughts, but maybe what's not okay is to suffer in silence. It's not okay mm-hmm. to suffer alone. It's, it's not okay to go through all of that by yourself. And that there, there is help out there. And, and I, I really want to stress that there is help out there that, you know, mm-hmm. you, and, again if, again if we start again just take a risk sometimes and just ask the question you know like you know or just share how you feel and I think for me one of the biggest life-saving elements when it comes to, to suicide and I guess first aid to suicide is like you know if you're ever worried about a friend if they're struggling with their mental health or they're using language like you know I don't you know don't see the point in it anymore or they're saying that I'm imagining what I mean I'll just be better off dead or they're better off without me if we start hearing people using like language like that, just say, look, I'm really worried about you. You know, are you thinking about suicide when you're saying that they'd be better off without me. You know, are you thinking about killing yourself? Um, and again, that might, that language I'm using, that might scare some people off, but it's, I think it's important we use those words because we can't beat around the bush. We can't be ambiguous about it because a life may be lost. And I think a lot of people are scared to ask that question. Are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about ending your life? But for me, it's not just asking a question; it's also conveying a message. We're just saying to that person, "Look, I really care about you." When I ask that question, I'm also saying, "I'm okay with everything you're going through now. You can talk to me. It's okay, even if it's suicide. It's okay. I really want you know, you to share what you're going through and share it with me. And and if they do say, no, then that's fine, isn't it? Like you know, we can carry on the conversation. But for me, it's always what's at risk. Mm. I think as expedition leaders and medics, you know, we ask a question: What's the risk? And if i don't ask that question again it could potentially it could cost on their life so for me it's really important that we normalize conversations about mental health if we're ever afraid of someone's mental health that we can drop that question in it's okay to ask it and then it's it's kind of signposting them to kind of the right appropriate help and just say okay maybe it's you know good we have a conversation with your gp like why don't we go to see your gp i'll, I'll come with you if you want or you know, find someone who, who maybe might be more appropriate to go with them to that GP. If the risk is imminent, maybe taking them down to a I don't think people realise you can go to a for a mental health crisis as you could for, you know, physical. if you've broken your arm. That's what one friend did to, did to me. He took me to a when I didn't feel like I could keep myself safe. And he did his job because he took me into hospital. It may have taken me four hours to see a psychiatrist, but at least I was in mm. the safest environment mm. I could be, and he'd done his job. So
0: yeah,
1: I think, yeah, in a really convoluted way for me, it's just about you know, these thoughts and feelings are quite common, a lot of people experiencing them, I think a lot more people are experiencing suicidal thoughts at the moment, um, and there's nothing wrong with you if you're having these thoughts, and if you are worried about someone, you know, just ask that question, you know, start mm-hmm. off, you know, how are you feeling, how you, you know, how are you feeling mm-hmm. at the moment, how are things going for you during the lockdown, and if they don't sound okay, it's okay to ask that question, are you thinking about suicide, are you having suicidal thoughts, and amount of people I said well actually yeah <laughs> and just that weight that comes off their shoulder and that's all they need So they just need that weight to come off their shoulder they just need someone to share that with and that's enough that's all they yeah. need really
0: yeah um, yeah no I think it's fantastic isn't it there's so, so much in what you've just said but I think it's so much about the environmental safety isn't it you're by even asking that question you're you're almost creating a bubble of safety around you and that other person. You're creating this space where it can come out if it needs to come out and it's coming out and being validated. And I think as human beings, you know, we're so relational. We're, we're made to connect. So, uh, you know, when we're feeling the most, at our most vulnerable, which somebody might be, if they're experiencing suicidal thoughts, to be able to have that type of space and have a connection through that type of vulnerability I imagine mm-hmm. is just profound actually in terms of helping that individual to to start to 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 get better or recover. A change in tack slightly I what I'd love to hear more about is is what role like for example and you're just back from the Sanai and um, which I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about but I what role do experiences like that play for you in your own mental health and your own kind of um yeah sense of well-being, you know, getting out and taking on all these amazing adventures for yourself rather than facilitating others' adventures through through expedition leadership.
1: I mean I think that raises yeah very important point you know self-care I can't self-care starts with me. I've got to look after myself otherwise I can't really be in a position to support other people and I think sometimes I forget that and yeah but so, you know lockdown and the pandemic has really impacted on my mental health I think I cope very well with to begin with but you know things <laughs> did become a struggle and I you know the suicidal thoughts and feelings which I live with on a daily basis almost but you know that very often distant they became louder and I think I, I you know started to struggle with suicidal urges and I was like I need something needs to change like I need To address this issue and I see a counsellor I speak to a counsellor once a week and it's amazing it's very helpful I take medication you know I see an online psychiatrist when I need to so I was doing all the things I needed but I I just wanted to go and be in the mountains to be (laughs) perfectly honest because they've always been that's been my go-to like I've struggled my mental health I go to the mountains I go to the outdoors and it's just simple I just think for me it's the simplicity of all that you know, mm. I get up, I eat, <laughs> I go walk, I summit a mountain. And you get that incredible feeling when you do summit that feeling, that release. Um, and it was just the peace and quiet of, all not being bombarded with bad news every single day, and not having to worry about replying to WhatsApp messages or my email box getting cluttered up. I didn't have any of those worries or woes um, for 14 days. I just, it was just peace. Um, mm. And, and pure bliss and you know i read more books in, in four weeks two weeks than i probably had done in you know the whole whole of the year and mm-hmm. it was just that peace of mind and and it helped me give i guess a sense of perspective a bit more clarity with my thoughts um to rethink my situation to kind of come up with ideas of what i could do next how i could plan um 2021 and just again i just think being, again just I think there's something truly hearing truly healing about mother nature and just being in that outdoors and that vastness and feeling connected to something that's much bigger and greater than yourself <laughs> and just those stars just you know every night I just lie and just around the campfire with the my bedouin guides mm-hmm. drinking their incredibly sweet tea and just just <laughs> like getting lost in the stars and it was amazing and it may have been only two weeks but it was like yeah it was incredibly cathartic and it, it did kickstart and I feel like in a much better place now and um, to kind of take on 2021 mm. and, and and kind of find again find my passion and purpose to, to do what you know I have been doing, like you said, just have something for myself <laughs> mm. uh, that was truly my experience. Um cause I did go in with the idea of filming it all and blogging and that went out the window at half an hour. It's like I do not want to have this experience or experience this, you know, this journey through a lens. I just Ended up putting my GoPro in the very bottom of my pack and just forget forgetting about it for two weeks. So, um, and just challenge as well. Just having again, I had it was important for me to have a challenge. So I wanted to summit these seven mountains, and again, that gave me that that kind of focus and and, and that purpose and that incredible sense of achievement at the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. It was amazing, and just that connection with the Bedouin guides. And you know, you're talking about connection, just. I, didn't speak the same language they could barely speak any English so I can't speak any Arabic but it was just that again that connection I felt with the Bedouin and, and kind of sampling their way of life which is <laughs> a lot simpler <laughs> than our way of life and and really learning from them too and I, I you know I learned a great deal about myself through watching them as well.
0: Mm. Yeah that's that's interesting I mean it, you know putting you on the spot but could you um articulate that about what you learned from your experiences with the Bedouin is there anything that kind of in particular comes to mind
1: I, I mean I, I've been living in my flat now for 16 months in, in High Wycombe and I think the uh only conversation I've had with my downstairs neighbor was to him saying I think there's a leak in your bathroom and me sending him out through his letterbox apologizing for that leak you know the Bedouin even if there are different tribes and you know know we've got to walk you know maybe 15 16k through quite difficult terrain we bumped into another bedouin you know we'd sit down they collect shrubs and roots and fires and we sit down and we'd have make tea and we'd have a conversation Mm. there's no like haste there's no like oh I'm too busy I've got to get here I've got to get there you know they're always making time for each other and and it's just you know the resourcefulness of them I think we've you know a lot of us have forgotten how to make fires and and you know we've got microwaves and you know cookers and fridges you know we didn't have any of that so there were and water is very difficult to come by so it's just everything's kind of reduced down to its basic level and and nothing's done with haste they don't rush you know like mm-hmm. everything was just it's just the calmness about them and, and just the focus and I guess just the ease of, of way of life which is also under threat um, and for me probably the most magical moment on the trip was at one point I was with my guide and he just stopped and he just looked around him and he just it was kind of like he said wow but it, it wasn't quite wow, well, but it's something along that and i said even though you live here you are of this land i thought like, you still find this beautiful and he and he said you know like their way of life when i'm in the village I'm, and people are on their phones watching tv i'm like a fish out of water when i'm in the mountains i'm like a fish in water mm. and that became our language for mental health because he asked he's like why you know he's just asking like why why are you doing this and i was like you know, i said because my heart and mind are like a fish out of water here and after the mountains when we saw the mountain fish back in water um so that yeah that was a pretty <laughs> magical experience mm-hmm. as, as well um and it's just yeah this i just was amazed that even though they're surrounded by this constant beauty that even they stop and they pause and they make sure they take it all in you know they never mm. t- they didn't t- they didn't seem to take anything for granted which i i, I often i must say i often do so mm. yeah it was very powerful in that, that respect to me
0: mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, um, I mean, actually, I'm kind of <laughs> having a having a tingle, t- t- tingles myself just listening to that, because I think um, both me and I'm sure many of our listeners today will resonate with what you have just said with the power of those types of experiences and where actually language gets transcended there's there's something you find a way to communicate which is beyond a language and it's so um profound and uh, (laughs) you know I think that's what um that's certainly for me that's what me makes me love traveling adventure other cultures expeditions because it takes you out of Of your normal, it takes you away from the 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 habitual way that we sometimes actually end up living our life here. I think in the West, really, but it Mm -hmm. can happen so easily. And as you say, it's 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 putting the fish back into the water, which is such beautiful a beautiful way of of Mm -hmm. thinking. (laughs) Love, it's fantastic. But I'm sure, yeah. But I mean, I think the hard thing at the moment is how, especially if you know like you and me and so many of our listeners will be people who love an adventure it's how you keep that alive at the moment when actually Mm -hmm. this is just tough like you know we're locked down again you know you're maybe restricted to your local park if you're lucky and you know I think you've mentioned it quite a few times already during during the podcast this idea of of purpose and how important that is and I think for those of us that are into exploring an adventure that's a huge part of uh, of who we are of our value system of 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 what gives our life purpose and what gives us our you know essentially our life energy if that makes mm-hmm. sense not to be too esoteric about it but so I, I i think i guess you know a question for you is is how how do you bring some of what you experience in the sinai and that you know your adventurous kind of your love for that back to here back to the reality of another uk lockdown For the next four to six weeks, you know, how do you entwine that back into life here?
1: I think it was was something that I really learned on the Appalachian Trail because you know, walking twenty miles every day for five months, it it, it can get very tedious and quite boring after a while. But then I realised it was all about my perspective, and you know, I truly believe that there is an adventure in everything I do, and it's Mm. just a matter of perspective. (laughs) And I think our thoughts and our belief in our thoughts really create our reality. So if I think life is boring and mundane then it will become boring and mundane but if I think there is adventure in what I do if I I mean I don't know how but I'm going to give it a go with this next lockdown you know I'm going to try and see maybe the adventure in it and and again and those things that I do and have taken for granted to maybe not do that you know as much to kind of focus maybe on, on the relationships that I do have and with people that I haven't maybe seen or heard from in a long time and kind of rekindle those relationships from previous expeditions like you know the two guys I ended up walking over a thousand miles within you know the Appalachian Trail you know that connection I have with them has never gone even though I haven't seen them in, in all those years so just making sure yeah having conversations with friends that I've been on adventures speaking to other expedition leaders it's very important for me to, to stay communicating well connected to other expedition leaders and you know have those chats and kind of for me even talking about it mm-hmm. can, can help me you know bring up those memories and those feelings and um so I, I think, yeah, it's going it to be difficult. <laughs> we don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. And You know, last year was the first year in, what, 13 years? I haven't led an expedition, but yes. like, I, I truly do believe there is, you know, a, a adventure in everything we do. I mean, if you're raising a child, that's most definitely an adventure. And running my charity, it's an adventure. You know, it edge flows, It's ups and downs. It's definitely a journey. So I think, yeah, I truly believe there's adventure in everything we do. And it's just our thoughts and our belief in our thoughts and how we perceive things um I think that's the most important part for Mm -hmm. me and that's Mm -hmm. what I think I've truly learned from from all these adventures that I've gone on
0: Mm, yeah so you know I wonder um yeah my my kind of a question for you is, is how how would you like to see your your kind of your babies essentially your expedition leadership and your charity how would you like to see them grow in the future, post-pandemic, you know, what are your hopes for, for them moving forward?
1: I mean, for me, it's, it's it's very much that I hope that mental health, and because there is a big disparity between mental health and physical health at the moment, and for me, it's very much that having a conversation about self-harm, suicidal eating disorders is as commonplace as having conversations about diabetes, asthma, anaphylactic shock, um, you know, heat exhaustion and kind of making sure it is on that same parity and, and that we take mental health as seriously as we do, physical health, the mental health, uh, on expeditions and, and adventures. And and yeah, I'm doing my best to drive that through. And like, I, it's nice to know that that movement is growing. There's a lot more people who are being vocal about it as well. And I just, yeah, I just want to live in a world where people don't feel ashamed about their, you know, their mental health experiences or diagnosis or conditions. and. Again, it's, you know, feeling as comfortable talking about them as they, they would their physical health. That's that's so so important to me. Um, I don't know how many years that will take. It might mm. <laughs> it could take a long time. But like I said, that's that's my that's my hopes and dreams, and I would do anything I can, anything in my power to help make that happen. And I think that's why it's really you know it's, it's fantastic that you're giving me the opportunity to to have this conversation right now because you know I think this is it's part of that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and what I wonder, I mean, I think you've already mentioned it during the podcast is you know, I'm a great believer in silver linings, but will this be a silver lining of the pandemic that actually we come out of it and we are everybody actually is now going to be a little bit more comfortable talking about their mental health because we've been united with the uncertainty of this Mm -hmm. time and actually you know as I think you've mentioned so who knows time will tell (laughs) with regards to that one but but unfortunately we are coming to the end of the podcast I feel like we could keep talking (laughs) for for actually for a lot longer but um I just um yeah you know just for the last couple of minutes um I just kind of want to um, first of all, just before we go back to Stu and, and get your kind of closing thoughts, Stu, I just, um, I do want to kind of go back to what we mentioned at the beginning, which is obviously both Stu and I realise that we've talked about uh, some sensitive topics today. Um, uh, within the field of mental health and if you have been affected by anything that we've talked about today um, please 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 reach out to somebody in your own network and if that is not possible and um, we've got two resources that we really want to signpost people towards and Stu please chip in if I'm if I'm you know if there's anything else that you want to add around this but w- the first one is an organization called Shout and um, which is a free confidential um, mental health tech service. So it's 247, 365 days a year. And essentially you text the word shout to 85258 and there's some mental health support at the end of that text message for you um, if you need any more information it's giveusashout.org so that's the first one and the second one which I think people will be probably may- maybe a bit more familiar with I don't know is obviously the Samaritans again 24 7 365 days a year and um, that's samaritans.org and that's a phone number and that's 116 and you can call that at any stage but Stu anything else you want to add just around the signpost element of things?
1: Um, I just also think it's really important that please don't be put off going to see your GP because there's a pandemic on. If you're struggling with your mental health, please go see your GP. You know, don't be put off because, you know, there's
0: a pandemic and people,
1: you know, they're under strain. It's so, so important. We still look after ourselves mentally and physically during during all of this.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. That's a very important point. And it's quite, quite funny that you mentioned that and me, I'm the doctor. I not to mention that. <laughs> Oh dear, no. <laughs> um, and also just, um, um, we can get it right at the end or maybe just now, Stu, maybe I, I'm, I'm definitely saying that some of our listeners today are going to want to be able to, are going to be inspired, very inspired by what we've talked about on your journey off the back of this podcast. So what is the best way for people to get in touch with you if, if somebody did want to contact you after today and have a chat?
1: Um, if you go to the charity website, um, changinghorizons.org, yeah. Um. I think my telephone number and e- email address is, is on that website, and there's also a contact form. So, so please do get in touch if you want to have a conversation, want to chat about mental health, and yeah, please
0: do get in touch. I yeah, really appreciate that. Brilliant, brilliant. And I'm already trying to entice you to um maybe be at the conference next year. So fingers crossed <laughs> that we see more of you in the WEM community. Um. So, just I mean, really, for the last last few thoughts, I just want to take it back to you, Stu, and I mean, we've discussed a lot today, but I just want maybe, perhaps, for me and for the listeners, I mean, what are there one or two kind of take home points from what we've talked about today that you want to leave leave us all with? Um,
1: I mean, I, I can't stress this enough. Like for me, it's, it's so so important that we normalize conversations with mental health, and I can't expect that to happen with other people it needs to start with me and if I speak openly and candidly and honestly about my mental health that gives permission for other people to do the same and and if you're ever worried about someone if you know you just got to trust your instinct if you've got a gut feeling that something's not okay then please just start the conversation and and see where it goes and and just trust your instincts like I think there's a, a fantastic Samaritans advert which is you know it says you know just a simple conversation is enough even a question about the weather can be enough to save someone's life and that we mm. all have the experience we need to save a life when it comes to someone with um, experiencing mental you know, health problems or issues and i think it's so so important trust your gut and <laughs> see where it goes
0: yeah no i think that's brilliant i think that's brilliant thank you Stu. thank you so much for what has been uh, a very inspiring conversation for me and I'm very sure it will be a very inspiring conversation for all our listeners um and it's just yeah thank you thank you Stu thank you um listeners and yeah happy new year everybody and yeah see you again soon